0: Sean as he comes this morning (sighs) you might as well come up come on I presume everyone knows this young lady well yes um, yes I'm Sean I am from Auckland I work for SIM serving a mission we are an international mission agency that works across uh, Africa, Asia, South America. Um, and I'm like the salesman for the organization. Officially, it's called mobilization and recruitment, but everyone like, me, yeah, what's that? So I talk about, I'm the salesman. So my job is to get people to go and serve overseas and to get people connected to the reality of what is happening around the world. And so I met this young woman. About a year ago, was it? Yes. So Jessica has a little bit of a history with time because she did her medical elective as part of her medical training where she went to a hospital, Tanzan Hospital, in Nepal. And now she's going back out, but to serve for a longer time. And so me coming here this morning as part of connecting with the church about what it means to send her, because officially you're her sending church. Commissioning church to send her out. And this is going to be a process for about a year or something, a bit less than that, in terms of actually going. So, just we'll do some more stuff down the line as the year goes on and stuff, but this is just for me to connect with you. So, Jessica, tell us a little bit about how you got to this point and what you're going to be doing.
1: So, for those of you that haven't heard the full version, just a quick cliff notes, Um, before I was a teenager I knew that I was called to be a missionary and I had a vision of going out working in sort of middle of nowhere rural developing countries um, but didn't have much beyond knowing that that was what I wanted to do. When I was in year 12 I did my first short term mission trip through my school, um, Longburn Adventist College, we went over to Rarotonga to help serve, um, do some, yeah, Ministry and help repair a school that had been dist- um, damaged by the cyclone over there. Um, it was brilliant and amazing, but felt that it wasn't exactly what I was called to. Felt more drawn to the health and the welfare of the people, and developed my sort of deep sort of fascination with tropical medicine. Made the first diagnosis of the yeah, red rings on our arms were the millipedes toxin when they crawled up on us at night and that was yeah my first exciting diagnosis and all that sort of through yeah, prayer and yeah, soul searching led me towards the doctor side of mission work. Um, so I went off to med school to prepare for that and TI year I went over to Nepal and served in two mission hospitals and one in Tanzan and Western Nepal and sort of rural areas and one very much middle of nowhere Okorunga, in Eastern Nepal. And it was yeah, the best time of my life. Um, between the work, the caring for just beyond what's imaginable over here, just the deprivation and needs, the relationships with the colleagues, the Christian environment of the hospital, the relationships with the people and just the most importantly just the relationship and walk with god through it his yeah presence and protection from actually getting me to Okaldunga to um, protection during the earthquake i wasn't going to elaborate on this but thought that god wanted me to be the people that were up here um during my time in nepal in 2015 there was the big earthquake um, and during the third aftershock, we were in church a Sunday morning. In Nepal, it's not like here; the buildings aren't structurally integrated. They're bricks and mud, and they disintegrate when the earthquake hits. Um, so you run, you run outside as fast as you can. Um, during the aftershock, yeah, we are in church. Aftershock happened, biggest one we'd had since the original, and everyone stay put. We just yelled and praised god and asked for protection and we just felt this presence come over us this pressure that yeah he was sa- saving us and holding up the building and i felt the same presence over you guys um before so yeah whatever comes your way whether was storm whether it's the earthquake whether it's damage danger yeah he's with you um yeah, yeah, that's my segue point. So yeah, came back um, and yeah, knew that I needed some more doctoring skills. So I've been working towards my GP fellowship since, and that'll happen this year. So I reached back out to SIM, who sent me the first time for where I could go and where I could be the most use um, as I could head back to Nepal. And yeah, he sent me a list, and one of them was Makingi Hospital in Zambia. And, yeah, felt that that was where I was meant to be. It fit the vision that I was given, yeah, decades plus, decade plus ago, um, whatever that was. And more recently, I always had a sort of passion, which has just grown stronger and stronger for women's health and gender equality. And, yeah, through the paper I did last year, learning more about the disparities, especially around... I mean, women health in general, but OBS and gynae and HIV and that side of things. Just, yeah, felt, yeah, that's where I'm meant to go, and that's what I'm called to help and do. Um, But Sean will tell you more about McKinkey and Zambia as he's actually been there.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Thank you for that. You can now sit down. So later on, I'll talk about the connection between the church and us and McKinney and stuff. But I want to give you a bit of background about mission. You see, I've been involved with the world of Overseas Mission for 20-something years. And some of you here, you know, you're looking a bit older, so you've heard mission stories and you know missionaries from way back and you were somewhere and something like that. But um, one of the interesting things is that I've been working, like I said, for 20-plus years. I've got to a point now where I'm trying to stop to use the word Overseas Mission. Because when I say, Hey, I'm involved overseas mission, I know what happens in most of your minds is most of you sit there and going, Oh, Africa, twenty years, no, that's me. That's not me. You just like switch off. Because <laughs> overseas mission seems this big thing that you do, a big commitment. And you leave your life behind and you raise money and you go over it, and you serve in uncomfortable situations. And so I started to think about what does it look to talk about overseas mission in way which people can connect with. And the reason I started, another reason I was down this path is because there's an interesting thing happening in churches in New Zealand. I'm not sure generally if you're aware, but generally they're getting smaller. Churches are getting smaller, and less and less people see themselves as a Christian. And a friend of mine did a survey under the Baptist, Auckland Baptist Youth Association about eight years ago, trying to work out what percentage of young adults leave the church in New Zealand? And he did a study, and it backed up a study that was done 10 years before. Both of them worked out about 75 to 80% of 18 to 25-year-olds will leave the church. That's a lot of people. They reckon maybe 10% of people come back when they have children. But generally, that's a huge number. And they interviewed a whole lot of people who had left church. And I've interviewed a whole lot of young adults who have left church. And interestingly, most of them would still call themselves a Christian. They would still pray, still read the Bible, have, have spiritual conversations. And when I asked them, so what was the number one reason why you left the church? Generally, this is the top answer. It is, they say. They said, at the end of the day, my Christian faith didn't do anything. It didn't change anything. It didn't really change my life, didn't change my community, didn't change my family. Yes, I went to church, and yes, I had a great time of worship, and I went to camp, and we did prayer things, and we did this. But ultimately, it didn't really change me and my community. And I started to think about that, you see, because there's been a shift, partly philosophical, theological, and everything, And a lot more now in most people, a lot of a younger generation, where there's a lot more focus of how is this faith actually changing the world I live in now? There's still a belief in heaven and a hope in heaven, but if faith doesn't make sense now, then a lot of people struggle. How has it changed this community? How has God at work now? And so it got me thinking about what does that look like for people to be engaged now? And I'm not just talking about overseas. It could be across the road. Because actually they're both and. Because one of the interesting things is I've got to go to prayer groups. So mission agencies have prayer groups. Used to have one here, I think, the BMF. There's some for OMF and SIM. and you have all these prayer groups around the country. But interestingly, most of the prayer groups are exactly the same. They tend to meet on a Tuesday or Wednesday morning, and the average age is about 75. Generally women, and you go along and they have those pretty little cups and saucers and they give you a scone and stuff. Wonderful women, wonderful prayers. But they also have interesting stories. And they used to tell me that when they were younger, in the 40s, 50s, and early 60s, there was three ways in which you got informed about the world. This is a history lesson for some of you here. There was a thing called newspaper. Yep, we understand that. There was a thing called radio. And there's a thing called movie tone news. Yeah. <laughs> certain people of a certain age laugh. <laughs> movie tone news is when you went to the movies back then, before the movie started, there was a five to 10 minute black and white reel of events around the world. Wow. So you could actually visually see, otherwise all you saw was a photo in a newspaper. That was only, and this age group told me that when they were younger, that was the only connection to the world. But back then, people in church were more concerned and passionate about what was happening in the world. And there was a lot more connection. And so, even though they had limited understanding, everything was about mission. Every Easter camp for young people was a mission one. Missionaries would not come and just speak on a Sunday morning, they would do a whole week. Yeah, come and speak on a Sunday services, Sunday night, visit small groups, youth group, do some stuff, speak on the following thing. There was a lot more money raised when for mission, there was a lot more connection. Which is interesting now because you and I just have to push a button. And we can see everything that's happening at any time. So at the moment we can watch people being shot in Myanmar. We can see floods. We can see catastrophes. We can see unlimited the realities of the world. But interestingly, we're less connected. And we feel less responsibility to the spiritual and physical needs of people overseas. But we can see more. It's a strange twist that has happened for a lot of us. And I'm not sure whether part of that's overkill. As in each day you turn on your computer, your iPad, your phone, it's just another thing. And so it's another thing, and after a while it becomes a big blur, you know? And I do remember one time, a few years ago, one young person said to me, see, growing up in New Zealand, it's like all the bad stuff happens up there. Up there being somewhere north of New Zealand, okay? And I'm not saying we don't have (laughs) some bad stuff. You know, yes, we had an earthquake, we had earthquakes, there was a shooting, We have some issues with child poverty and with housing. But actually, compared to the the rest of the world, New Zealand is a Pacific paradise. It really is. And it's interesting, the words that were brought here this morning. Because one of the reasons why I think, as New Zealanders, we struggle to connect to the spiritual and physical needs of others outside is actually because we are too comfortable. I'm not sure if you've noticed in your own life, but the more comfortable I get the more less engaged I am. And the less I rely on God. And the less I pray, and the less I read his word. And the, because actually, that's what happens. So one of the difficulties of living in New Zealand is actually our life can be quite comfortable compared to the rest of the world. And when you're comfortable, you become lazy. So I did, I studied at Kerry College for three years, um, the pastoral leadership. And I have to be honest, I was a terrible student. I really sat at the back, and I wanted to actually, I ended up doing a master's in development studies, which I wanted to do, but I was there, at Kerry. But I remember theology one-on-one. A guy called Brian Smith taught this class, and I do remember this thing. He said, part of human nature is you will always go back to where life is comfortable. We all do it. We all do it in life. We don't like being uncomfortable because it goes against human nature. So we always try and arrange life and arrange things so that it's actually the most comfortable for us. So on a small level, I have a weakness for good coffee. Okay? Yeah, yeah, okay. But the problem is, so I have a weakness for good coffee, so what it means actually is I will not drink anything else. (laughs) If someone, if like, I don't know what the coffee is out of the back here, I'll just like, oh, fine. Or I'll go for a cup of tea, because a cup of tea is safe. Now, that's my little thing of comfortableness. I'm just like, no, no, I'm not. No, no. But we also have major ones. When life is painful, when life is hard, these days we tend to move away from that pain and that hardship, rather than dealing with it. Because it's painful, It's uncomfortable. And so to talk about overseas is to be uncomfortable. To see the realities and what is our responsibility, that's uncomfortable. It makes us feel uncomfortable. So in all of that, I've tried to come up with a different term of talking about mission. And this is what I've got to at this point. Mission is you and I connecting to people and then connecting those people to Jesus. Come on. Hmm. You and I connecting to people and connecting <laughs> those people to Jesus. Now, the, the, the hard thing for you when I'm talking is when I talk about Overseas' mission, all of you can sit here and go, oh, Jessica's going, that's great. Jessica, we'll support her. That's great because I, I'm not going. I don't need to. But when I talk about you and I connecting to people and connecting the people to Jesus, then actually all of us. And me? know the story. Is it not? Yeah, it okay, apparently they've lost me. <laughs> oh, I'll keep on talking. Usually I don't hold one of these because some of you might know so I've got a little shake. Yeah, um, apparently it's just something peculiar of me. It's nothing to do with health or anything like that, but it can be a bit strange when some, I'm talking and people are watching my hand shakey-shake look at that, on the move, is that better, yeah. go. oh good, so in this story, let me give a party for a time, give a paraphrase views. In. most of you have heard this story before, Jesus comes to the well, the well and he sends his disciples off and they go into the town to get food and a woman comes out in the middle of the hot day looking for water and Jesus starts asking her for some water. And he's like, well, you, you don't have a bucket. What do you mean? How are you here? You've, you've got no way of getting it. And he starts to say, well, actually, I've got some water, the living water that you'll never be thirsty again. And she starts to talk about the ancestors and Jacob and his animals. And they've had the animals there. And are you, are you more worthy than Jacob? And again, he talks about this living water. And then he starts to tell her about her life. Because he says, Go and get your husband. And she says, I do not have a husband. He says, That is right. You've been married five times, and the man you're living with is not your husband. And then they took a bit further. And then the woman goes back into town. And she starts telling people in the town about this man she's hurt. Now, the interesting in this story, if you know anything background, is that this woman is probably an outcast in that society because she's already been married five times, and that's like a no-no. And now she's living with a man who's not a husband. And the fact that she's coming to the well in the middle of the day probably means she is an outcast because back then all the women would go at the call of the day in the morning and get their water, catch up, talk about life, She was going by herself. And she says to these people, who probably don't like her that much, come and hear a man who's told me everything I've ever done. Could he be the Messiah? And then further on, it says in that chapter, the people go out and they come to believe in Jesus. And what I find amazing about that is that this woman, who's an outcast, who probably is not liked, doesn't have many friends, ends up being the person to tell the people in the town about Jesus, and they go up and they come to believe. I think that happened because Jesus treated that woman with love and dignity and care. That was the need she had. You see, she was surprised that he was even speaking to her because he was a man and she was a woman and he was a Jew and she was a Samaritan. But I think she's felt so low, so nobody, that this man talks to her and treats her like she is just a normal person with love and dignity. And I think it changes something inside her heart that she wants to respond to. So that is just one of any stories you think about in the gospel. Jesus connects with people where they're at and then connects those people to Jesus. I mean, sorry, to his Father and to the love of God. But I can assure you, we read those stories and go, oh yeah, yeah, that's Jesus. Yep. He just knows stuff. He just does this and everything else. I am sure that that would have been uncomfortable. Because generally to connect to people makes your life uncomfortable. It really does. Because people are not nice. They're not. Often, a lot of you are not nice. You're not. You have your own quirks, your own views, your own life experiences, your own way of dealing with stress, of dealing with anger, of dealing with emotion, whatever it is, And, you know, the reality, all I have to do is ask your husband or wife or your sons or your daughter, your parents, whatever, and they're like, oh, yeah, actually, you know. We're all ratbags. We are. We're ratbags. But when you actually have to connect to other people who are not like you, it pushes your buttons. So let me tell you a few stories that Jess is going to experience and she will not like. She's going to a hospital in Zambia, I would say parts of Africa, like parts of Nepal, are actually no different now than they were at the time of Jesus. In a lot of parts of the world, if you're a child of a woman, you do not have a voice. What happens in Zambia is that if someone gets sick in the family, it is up to the father to decide whether they go to hospital. And the father's thinking about money, so he often might go to the witch doctor, even though he's a Christian, because they're just down the road. Eventually he gets to the point where the child or his wife is so sick they have no other choice and they pay some money to take him one hour, three hours, five hours, eight hours to the hospital. And so what happens is often people get to the hospital when things are the worst. And there's a good chance people die because they should have come a week ago or two days ago. And I remember talking to there's another doctor there who's a surgeon, a guy called David Friend, and he said, "You, you everything inside you wants to scream, because people are dying needlessly. But it is the way things work. It is society, it's culture, it's poverty, it's beliefs, it's a whole lot of things, but other people suffer." Now I tell you that story, and you're like, "Ooh." but I can assure you there's a difference when you're there treating someone who's dying because their parents, their father, did not bring them in. And everything goes out the window. And even some of your Christian values and your Christian theology gets challenged. Let me give you an example that none of you are going to like. Most of us here believe that Jehovah Jireh, God's my provider. I think, hopefully. We've grown up with that because we've read it in the Bible. But actually the only reason I think we believe it here in New Zealand is because we have a thing called a fridge, (laughs) seriously, and a cupboard, or income support, whatever it is. I've been to places, and I've sent actually doctors to places where Jehovah Jireh doesn't actually quite work. I've sent three doctors, medical students, to to Niger, West Africa. So Esheim runs a hospital in the middle edge of the Sahara Desert. Predominantly a Muslim area. Well, totally Muslim. But over the years, a number of people have come to faith, and there's a small church, and there's a community around the hospital. So these three guys went one year when it was the middle of a major famine. And in famine, children starve. And what they noticed after about a month of being there, it was generally the youngest child of the family that was being brought in and was on their their last life. And they started trying to work out, why is this? And then they realized that even the number of the Christian families, this was the case. And what they've discovered, much to their horror, is that a lot of people, including the Christian families, were choosing to let their youngest child starve so the rest of the family could live. So I can assure you, those families knew about Jehovah Jireh. And they know the promises of God. But in this case, it wasn't working. What's the answer? And I can assure you, when you're a Christian and you're suddenly in that context, you are really, really uncomfortable because everything gets deconstructed. That's what it is. It's deconstructed. Everything you thought you knew, actually, I believe in New Zealand, is because they're true. But I think we believe they're true partly because our world is nice and our world is comfortable and safe. And so, yes, yes, God is like this. But actually, for a lot of the world, including where are just going in Zambia, it doesn't quite fit like that. But the scary thing is, when I've met some of these people, they still have way more faith than you and I. It's really hard. It's really complicated. And you just go, how can that be? You live in conditions and contexts that are painful, that are hard, and they're like, Yes, but I totally believe in the promises of God and God's goodness. And you're like, and I have to be honest, times like that when I've had conversations, I just want to hide and call cool into a little ball. Because I suddenly feel that, man, I am a nothing. You know, because here am I, yeah, yeah, God's this and Jesus this, and we have a great time of worship, yeah, yeah. But actually, because things are quite nice for me. Yeah. So that what it is to be uncomfortable that we've talked about. But it also is a big reality of when you go cross-culturally or when you start to connect with people who are not like you, their views, their thoughts, their values push your buttons. And that's okay. But often our first response is to withdraw because we're uncomfortable. But I believe that when God jumps in, when we're uncomfortable, when we're going out of our space, that's when it And I experienced that during youth ministry. I had a youth group of about 100 people, probably half of them were non-Christians. That was fun and games. Working with groups of young people whose background was totally non-Christian, their culture was not mine. So what they did and said and acted didn't change in a month or three months or a year. But you have to learn to listen and try and understand what's happening in their world, how they view the world, their experience of expressing it. And you work with that. So this morning, I want to encourage you. Jessica is going from this church, being sent from this church. And we're going to start looking at raising support and prayer and stuff. And you'll learn more about where she's going and the needs and the issues. But I believe when someone goes from your church, that's part of your story about how you are involved and connected in the world. It's part of your story. And I think that's important because it's not, shouldn't just be about, well, just gone and we've sent her some money and we're praying for her, but actually it's a part of who you are over there and what does that look like. And I think that's important because part of getting connected to the world is having stories, is becoming uncomfortable is supporting people or are being in uncomfortable situations. And so for me, that's what modern mission is. Connecting to people and connecting those people to Jesus. Jessica's doing it in Zambia. There's opportunities across the road here. Other pastors, whatever it may be, where you're getting out. And I'll just finish by saying again the quote I said at the beginning, the cystics, 80% of young people are leaving the church. Because they often say their faith didn't do anything. So for a lot of people here, a similar thing. For your faith to make sense, often you need to step out. And your faith needs to do something. It needs to change something. It needs to interact with something. Otherwise, life is nice. But I guess for most of you here, if you're, a lot of you here are old enough. You remember that generally you've grown the most in your faith when things are hard. When things are uncomfortable, when things are annoying, when things are stressful, generally that's somehow when you've grown the most in your faith. It's not rocket science, it's just how things work in faith. So I want to encourage you, uh, at the beginning, just make the connection, understand what's going to happen, but also the reality is, for a church to be involved with mission now, when we're more connected to the world, what does it mean to actually make connections? and then connect those people to Jesus. Let me pray. Father, I think, I think I want to say that all of us are ratbags. None of us are what we like to always pretend. And we have our own struggles, our own in our own background, our own things that influence how we see the world, how we act. Father, you taught us through your son Jesus to take people where they are at without judging them, without saying that they're a sinner or whatever, but actually just meeting a need in their life and treating with love and dignity and respect, causing them to open their heart to want to know about this person, Jesus, and God's love, because the way we treat them and interact them and welcome them. Father, I pray that this congregation may be challenging. How do they connect to the people? What does it look like? but also how they can start to look at supporting Jess as she looks to head out to Zambia and the things that she's going to be involved with and the challenges and the deconstruction and sometimes the pain, but actually where you are at work. Amen. Wow.